I am so glad that you're here. If you're like me and you just want to be the best version of yourself and you want to live a life of purpose and impact, this is your place. We're digging into the words that we can be filled with the truth and promise that God has for each and every one of us. We're committing ourselves to breaking through generational patterns, limited thinking, small thinking, and we're trading those things in for good. We serve a mighty, abundant, and limitless God, and through Him, we are striving and thriving together. If we're going to enjoy this brief life that we're given, we've got to give God something to work with, and I'm going to help you to do just that. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Barbara Gian at barbaragian.com and I hope you guys are doing amazing. Today's show is a good one. It is unlike any show that I've done yet. I cannot wait for you guys to hear all of it. Before we get into that, a couple of things. If you're new, welcome. I'm so happy that you are here and that you found us. If you've been around for a while, I appreciate you so much. Reminder to subscribe to the show, click that little plus sign so that you get notifications every time a a new show comes out. And also be sure to take a few seconds to rate and review the show. It helps me to know how you guys are enjoying the show and what your takeaways from it are. And it also helps others who are looking for a show to add to their list. So be sure to share it, share it with friends, share it on social media, get it out there. All right. The other thing is this show is brought to you by the Always Faithful Devotional and Prayer Journal. And this is a perfect way to start every single week and set the tone for even every day. It's a 52 weekly devotional. Inside, you're going to find journal pages that you can interact with daily. You'll find a weekly devotional, key scripture, journaling pages to write down your thoughts and prayers and gratitude and daily declarations. I even included 50 declarations for you to just pull straight from. You don't have to go anywhere else to find them. It's all there. You're going to love it. It makes an amazing gift. Grab one for you and a friend. The link is in the show notes. And I do have one for men. If you type Barbara Gian into Amazon, you'll see the three journals that I have. And that's the that's an easy, easy way to do it. But the links are always um, in the podcast show notes for you. Make it real easy. All right. Now. We are going to hear from Dr. Sherry Price. And she is just such a source of wisdom, insight, and knowledge. She's straight fire, guys. You guys are going to love her. I can listen to her and what she talks about for days. You know, this song is just for fun over here in the background. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Sherry Price. Dr. Sherry Price, thank you so much for being here. I have been looking forward to this conversation like you don't even know. I am super excited to be here, Barbara. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. I want to say that our meeting is totally divine. We met a few months ago now, I think it's been in a mastermind, maybe even longer than that. And I don't know about you, but I rarely go to those mastermind groups. And every time I have in the past, it's a different group of women. There's, I think, 12 women that are usually in the group. And this past time, you were one of them. And you shared with me after that you felt compelled to reach out in the messages or DMs. And I had your contact information for you and one of the other ladies in the group. And 
same thing for some reason. I think a week, maybe two had passed. And I was like, oh, I got to reach out to these ladies that I made contact with in the group. And this is so not like me. I'm a little bit embarrassed because I never reached out to the other one, but I felt drawn to reach out to you. And so I think I emailed you and then we connected from there and we ended up talking and you shared with me how you felt compelled to reach out. And as I learned about what you were doing with your podcast and your coaching, I was so intrigued. And I was like, you need to be on my podcast. And you graciously agreed to thank you because I really can't wait to just dig into the whole thing. And then I also was excited at that time because I had just created my affirmation card deck and you shocked me. You just picked up a whole bunch. I was like, how many do you want? (laughs) Thank you. That's amazing. But, you know, that's something I created to really remind others of who they are, according to God, and to empower and uplift people. And I hope that they're a blessing to you and to whoever you choose to gift them to. But that was they're, really nice. Yeah, they are beautiful. And just to echo some of the things you said, you know, we did that little small mastermind. And I felt like, wow, I really need to talk to this woman. I'm not really sure why. And then I go to another networking event. And I see your name, I see your name on the slide as like, you're one of part of the leadership team. And I'm like, is that the same lady? (laughs) So then I texted you and I'm like, why are you not at this meeting? You're on the slide in front of me. And I normally am not, you know, big on texting and reaching out to people I don't know. Cause you know, I'm always like, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm a weirdo? That's right. (laughs) And then you responded right back. And, And so I just love how kind of divine and uncanny our relationship has started. I know. And then when you told me about these cards, I'm like, I'm throwing a retreat. These would be perfect for the ladies attending. And then I just have other ideas of how I'm going to use them. So I was like, yes, I want them. So oh God, it's I love so it. funny how, how God works. I know. I know. And no matter how often it happens where something like this, well, it doesn't happen all the time, but I'm just, yeah, I stand in awe. I'm like, what? So crazy, but yeah. Anyway, just so grateful to be connected with you now. So I am, like I said, so intrigued by your platform, um, probably because I come from a family of alcoholics and and I'll share some things as we get into our conversation, but I really want to know your, your background, why you started this platform to begin with. I think it's something that you started doing a few years ago or not yeah. too long ago, but I just want to hear what led you down this path of speaking to people who may be over consuming or, but I know you also talk a lot about mindset and behaviors and I'm, I'm all for that. Cause that's, you know, something that I'm really into and, and believe strongly in that leads us to so many different things. I've been listening to your podcasts and they're amazing. They're so informative and valuable and chock full. Cause you know, I'm not somebody who struggles with alcohol and yet I got so much out of your podcast that I listened to. So take us back and tell us more about what led you down this path of this. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I think it's college, you discover alcohol and it's got such wonderful properties to it, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are are so glamorized by society, you know, liquid courage and you get to like be this alter ego and it makes you fun and, you know, all these things. And then just fast forward to, you know, I'm a pharmacist. I have a family, love my family. And when times get stressful, I would drink and over consume in a way that 
you know, I, I'm going to say this and I'm, I'm not sure it's scientific or not, but, um, mm-hmm. I never felt like an alcoholic. I just relied on alcohol too much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, it would be my stress reliever. It would be the way to unwind or a nice pairing with a meal. Like I found so many reasons to have a glass of wine. And then, it, it, you know, time goes by, you know, the mommy wine culture, all of that. And then I just noticed, it's like all of a sudden you just notice, right? That you're like, wow, I, I drink like a bottle of wine a night just about. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's, I don't think that's healthy. Right. <laughs> um, and it doesn't bother you much. I don't, well, it didn't bother me much. I'll just speak from my experience in my 20s and 30s. But as you enter your 40s, you know, you go through hormonal shifts, your metabolism starts to alter. And so the next day, I noticed that I was just not liking my relationship with alcohol. So I spent years, literally years, trying to cut back. I do whatever I found on the internet, you know dry January, sober Octobers, juice cleanses, mm-hmm. detoxes, spacing the drinks, you know, slowing down. I'd even drink alcohol I didn't like. Like I switched to beer for a bit thinking, oh, I don't really like beer and I don't usually overconsume it. So let me just do beer when I go out. And then I'm like, wait, this is silly. I'm putting something in my body that's not good for me that I don't like anyway. So that just yeah. seems seems really wrong. And so, you know, these these things that I would do, they would, of course, you know, all of January, I never had alcohol. Great. That's great for my body. But then why come February, I fall right back into the same pattern. So then I called it like, it's my drinking habit. I didn't feel like an alcoholic. I didn't have it in the morning. I didn't need it right when I got out of bed. It didn't feel feel like this physical craving. And for me, it was a psychological craving. It was like at night when I got home from work or it helped me deal with mommy life or the stress of, you know, keeping a clean house and a job and all the things and helped me relax. So it was like definitely this psychological attachment. And after spending years of like praying about it, <laughs> you know, like why do I keep wanting it so, so much? I was just like, nothing seems to be working long-term. And so I started looking into habit and how to break habits, which is different than how to start them. But, and, and there's not a lot of people talking about how to break habits, you know, creating new habits, sure, but breaking habits is a different ballgame. And then I, I found a coach who helped women stop over drinking. And I'm like, well, let me sign up for her stuff. And I loved her program and it got me a lot of results. It didn't take me to all the way where I wanted to go, but it definitely helped me on the path. And I felt understood because she came at it from a perspective that this isn't a disease. This isn't something you have to, you know, carry around for the rest of your life. Cause I never felt it was a, a lifelong sentence or a disease or something I'd have to like recover from. Like some of those words just didn't resonate with hmm. where I felt with it. So once I went through her program, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this for other women because I'm sure I'm not the only smart, successful woman out there thinking, what the heck? Why can't I cut back? And so, you know, there's a great TED talk about gray area drinking. And so this is really where I want to specialize is that gray area where it's like ramping up and you don't feel like you're kind of an alcoholic yet, but you're kind of some days question, maybe I am because psychologically I'm so wanting it. And so I just really want to spread the message that you don't have to wait till it gets so bad. I never had a rock bottom. 
So some of the traditional things I had learned about in pharmacy school on how to help people with addictions was, you know, rock bottom, you know, like they have to hit that. And, and that's not true. You can just want to better your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just that desire, right? Yeah. So that's what, that's what is so fascinating to me. So knowing the difference for somebody, I mean, everybody has to make that decision for themselves, whether they are a true alcoholic or whether they have just fallen into bad habits, as you say, right? Yes. Do you find that people that you speak to or work with maybe aren't really sure which one it is for oh, them? Yes. Or- oh, yes. Everybody. Everybody. Because when whenever you feel like something's got more of a hold on you than you really want it to, whether that's sugar, whether that's alcohol, whether that's over shopping on Amazon. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just doing it in excess, right? <laughs> exactly. Whenever it fe- you're like, oh, do I have a shopping addiction? A- and then I hear this concept, I have an addictive personality. Like personalities don't change over time. So it's just because you have some attachment now doesn't mean you can't get over it in the future, you know? So it's terribly reasonable to question that, especially when you don't feel like you're hundred percent in control of something. I mean, I have that question too. And what I would say is like, well, start investigating ways to just get to, you know, minimizing it a bit more, cutting back a bit more um, and looking at different ways to do that. And if you've tried something maybe two or three times and it's not working, <laughs> like yeah. for me, those sober Octobers and those dry Januaries, I said to my husband at one point, I said, how many more of these sober Octobers and dry Januaries do I have to do before they work? And he goes, well, the definition of insanity is trying something over and over again and expecting right. different results, right? Exactly. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this has to, I have to come at this from a different approach for it to stick and make it long-term. But I think it's, I think everybody has that kind of, am I an addict? Am I on my way to a stronger addiction? So I think that's very common. Yeah. I recently heard a podcast. So my husband is in recovery and he is very, very involved in his, he goes to daily meetings. He's extra with it because he's retired and he shows up more now today for service. He helps a lot of people there. And that's part of That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. It's really amazing what he's been able to get through and overcome and just, you know, have success with just being involved in his recovery. And he shared a podcast with me recently and it was just these guys talking about the struggle. And one of the comments they made was, if you've never asked yourself whether you might be an alcoholic, you're probably not one, right? If you've never had that question. And then the opposite, if you have asked that question, there's a good chance you are. You may not be. It may not automatically mean that, but you should investigate, like you mentioned just a few moments ago. And I was sharing with my husband about this upcoming podcast with you. And that when I was, I drank a lot, you know, starting at age 15, I drank a lot. And then even in our relationship in my twenties and thirties, that was always a focal point of our weekends, every celebration, every family get together, everything, alcohol was an automatic given. It was part of our life. And I used to, when I would bring up things about alcoholism, I used to just lump myself as an alcoholic, but not individually. It was more like, oh yeah, we're alcoholics. Like in our alcoholism runs in our family, but it doesn't because today I rarely drink. I mean, I still enjoy a drink here and there, but I've never struggled with it. 
But I was trying to differentiate the fact that you can be somebody who has a habit of over drinking or drinking in excess or whatever. Like I used to, like I said, from my teen years all the way through my thirties. And then you change your habits over time and you change your mindset and you change your lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm like I said, drinks are occasional for me now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think we were kind of going back and forth because I felt, and I told him, I don't want to misquote you or misrepresent what you're saying, but I feel like you're saying that if you're drinking that often and that much and it's part of your life, like, I know I'm going to say this wrong because I know that's not what he means, but like, I just felt like he was saying, you know, if someone's drinking that excessively, they're probably an alcoholic. Yeah. But yeah, it gets complicated. It does. Absolutely. And I respect everybody's view on this because whatever works for you, you do, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, labels felt very heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, let me just break it down. So I'm talking, you know, roughly a bottle of wine a night is what I had. And the standard drink size for wine is five ounces. And so if you take that standard size bottle of wine, there are actually five glasses. I know I used to think there's four glasses in a bottle of wine, but by, by the actual measurements set out, <laughs> there is five glasses of wine in a bottle. Think about that. So five wow. times seven, I'm drinking 35 oh drinks a week. And that's not to say weekends, I didn't party harder. Right? Like, Dr. Sherry has turned up. <laughs> Right. There's like, there's a date night and oh, a craft cocktail. And, you know, they're putting two shots of spirits in there. So if 35 is average, let's just say it's average. Some weeks it's more, some weeks it's less. If 35 drinks is average, I'm sure somebody's going to say to me, that's a lot of alcohol. You're an alcoholic. What I didn't like about the label is it felt heavy. It felt like I would have to go the traditional route for getting, I don't even like the word sober and clean. I mean, this is how much I don't like labels. So I respect people that do, and that's fine if it works for you. But when it, when I'm like, nope, that's not what I want. Nope. That doesn't sound fun. Nope. That's, you know, so I found the labels and the modality to get there unattractive. And to me, that kept me drinking. Does that make sense? It's kind of Mm -hmm. like if there's one path to getting help and that path, I don't want to be any, any part of it for whatever reasons we can get into that if you, if you want, you know, but it just didn't sit with what I wanted for myself. So I'm like, wait, maybe if I just drop the labels and I drop that, it has to be this one path. Maybe there are other paths to Rome, right? Maybe there are other paths to me drinking less and I am not alcohol free because that's not a goal I currently want right now. I just want control around it. And I don't want to ever go back to the habit. Right. So, so once I found my path, I'm like, there's got to be other people who this may resonate with. And some women work with me and then decide, oh, this is good. And some women work with me and then they decide, oh, I actually didn't think I wanted to be alcohol free. But now that I see it's possible, now that I see that my life is so much better, now I do want to be alcohol-free, right? So Mm. sometimes you can't see being alcohol-free as a fun life. Maybe even you don't even have faith or hope that you can get there. 
maybe that just seems so far off because like for me, I spent over a decade drinking almost every single night. Now, not not every single night, like there'd be nights I wouldn't, but mm-hmm. it felt like most nights of the week I was drinking a bottle of wine and sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. And that's yeah. just not a lifestyle I wanted to sustain in my forties my and beyond, right? It's just not, it just didn't right. stop feeling good about the woman I was showing up as, what it was I teaching my daughter, how come I always do say yes? How come no never comes out of my mouth when somebody offers me a drink? Like <laughs> that doesn't feel like the good self-control. That just doesn't feel like the woman I want to show up as. And yeah. I, I just wanted the flexibility to sometimes drink, sometimes not drink. So, you know, my program is all about being a woman who can take it or leave it. And that to me feels so freeing. It doesn't feel yeah. like it's oh, yeah. or a label or... It's just kind of like, yeah, and and I listen to my body and I don't just use alcohol for my emotions or to cope or to escape or any of that, you know, yeah. on, on, at least on a routine basis. Right. So do you find yourself ever working with women who you feel in your gut or can just kind of sense that this is beyond a habit thing and you kind of oh, have yes. to steer them? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I will say, I will, I know a lot after being in this realm, my clients have taught me a lot. I've researched a lot. I've helped in other people's programs to learn more about their philosophy. Um, and that has all educated me so I can appropriately refer. Mm-hmm. You know, some people do need more intense um, therapy. Some people do need a structure that I can't provide, you know? And so just making sure people are taken care of and really helping encourage them get the wellness. I call it a wellness strategy, right? Just getting the wellness that they want, whether that's mental, physical, emotional, you know, that's, it's spiritual, right? It's all related. We all want to be feeling whole, complete, not dependent on a chemical outside of us. And so, yes, absolutely. I, I screen people because I want to make sure that I'm setting themselves mm, up for success. Yeah. yeah. How many times have people tried to cut back and failed? And so I do not want to add another failure to somebody right. else's, to someone else's journey. So I really want to make smart. people successful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I want to mention something you I talked about just a minute ago about being aligned with your path. If it doesn't feel right for you, even if it sounds like it makes sense or could be the way to, you know, just kind of course correcting or wh- whatever you want to call it, if you're not aligned with it, you're just not going to succeed. So, yeah, you're right. There is not just one way, one program, one strategy for accomplishing whatever goals you have. And you just got to be aligned with it. You got to feel right with it so that you can have success with it. So I love that you said that. Yeah. And my coach and some of the earlier modalities I investigated or reached out and had phone calls with, and I would say, you know, they would ask, what are your goals? And I said, you know, just to take it or leave it. Occasionally drink, you know, I love this term. I like to be elegantly satisfied. So for me, that's like one drink and it's, I'm done. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I feel content. I feel satisfied. I don't have craving for more. It feels elegant to me because I'm not stumbling. I'm not mm-hmm. uh, fumbling with my words. I don't forget conversations. It doesn't interfere with my 
wellness goals, like meaning I don't gain weight from it. I don't feel bloated from it. You know, that feels so aligned to me. And I remember talking about this with some people who have overdrank and now don't overdrink, but they would still judge me and say, well, you know, you're always going to have the cravings or you're not going to be able to get there. Or I stopped drinking. And so I want you to stop too. And so I, I just want people to hear that when people get that way, it's kind of them passing their judgment onto you. And like you said, staying in alignment with what you want and finding ways that you feel supported and meeting people where they're at, I think is the most beneficial thing you can do for another human being. Mm -hmm. And you're proof of what's worked for you. You have met your goal, right? You are where you had the desire and the vision to be. And you, you have disclaimers. You're not claiming to be, I heard or saw something on your podcast that you're not a doctor or physician or whatever, but through your own research and through your own background and through your own Uh, trial and error, you have learned so much and it's valuable to so many different people who feel matched up with it. So I love it. You also mentioned something about wine. That is a very popular drink. I have never acquired a taste for wine. So anytime I'm in, you know, a different group or setting with women who are busting out the wine, like I never participate because I just, I just don't like the taste of wine. And it's probably a good thing because who knows, right? How much I would be drinking. But I also caught something on one of your episodes about US wine. So I want to know what you learned about wine that is made here. Yes. It's funny. So before this gentleman that I met, and I'll go into that podcast episode, um, I my drink of choice was KJ. We called it KJ, Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. So we would just get the six bottles that, you know, Vons would offer the discount. Like that KJ was my go-to Chardonnay. And so it was economical and could support the habit and, you know, all that. Once I started using these tools to cut back, I will tell you, I cannot drink that wine anymore. It's so weird to me. It was like, I mean, when I'd go to visit my family, my mom and dad would stock their house with it. (laughs) Whenever we would go places, like our family knew that, oh, Sherry likes KJ, get some KJ, you know. And it's funny how I can't, I don't even like it. It's not that it makes me like nauseous. It's just, I don't, I don't like it anymore. So going on to this episode where I had the pleasure of meeting Todd White. He does dry farm wines. If you ever wanted to research him, he's been on a number of different podcasts. I heard him on a podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have this guy on the podcast because he talks about the farming practices. So, you know, we know big tobacco, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, telling us things about cigarettes that weren't necessarily true and la la la. Well, there's big alcohol, right? Um, And the way alcohol is farmed in the United States, there's a list of chemicals, 76 he talks about, that, you know, there's no label on the back of a wine bottle. So you don't really know what you're drinking. And of course, we all know the downsides of alcohol. We know it's a neurotoxin. We know it kills the liver. We know it does all these things. It suppresses melatonin. So, you know, it throws off your sleep, all this stuff. So we know like all the hormonal things, uh, increases estrogen, which is why it leads to breast cancer and so forth. So we know all the toxicities about alcohol but we don't know these toxicities about these other 76 chemicals. By the way, they haven't been tested by the FDA, right? And so there's just these additives. And one of the additives he talks about is dimethyl dicarbonate. And 
this is a chemical that has to be, when you work with it, you have to be in a hazmat suit. It's that toxic to the body. It is like it's parts per billion that can like be so toxic to our body. <laughs> is this in all wines made in the you, U.S.? You, yes, it is. Well, let me take that back. Uh, we don't know if it's in all wines made in the U.S., but we know it's one of the 76 that's approved. And oftentimes it's used because there's a common overgrowth of a certain bacteria when you batch wine in these large vats. So he was talking about, you know, most wine is done here in California in the Fresno area. And he goes, they're these huge vats. So if you don't use this sterilizing chemical, you get this overgrowth of bacteria, which makes the wine rancid. And so of course, you're not going to want these huge vats of wine going rancid. So he thinks most of the time, this chemical is probably added to those big vats. And so it kills the good bacteria and the bad bacteria, right? Which is why these wines can have a shelf life of a long, long time. So it got me thinking like, okay, there's so much about the processed food industry, right? That we're now learning like, oh my gosh, the way processed food harms us, it gives us early dementia, causes type three diabetes and all the things. Like I'm wondering how much of that could be attributed also the way wine is farmed here in the United States. So since learning about this, I really don't have craving for wine (gasps) in the United States, which is such a blessing (laughs) that he's like, he's gifted me with his knowledge that's really changed my perspective on wine. Oh my goodness. Yes. So he came on my podcast. It was March 1st. If you listeners want to go out to my podcast to listen to that episode, he's widely knowledgeable. And so, you know, he does dry farm whining, which is there's another component of that. So we do irrigation, which sounds good. But when you could do irrigation of the crops, right, you get runoff from fields around it. So you get the glyphosate and the pesticides and the, you know, all the things killing, you know, the rodents and (laughs) insects Mm -hmm. off of like cabbage grown nearby or broccoli grown nearby. And so that it gets into the water supply and then that water supply goes right into the grape. So when you're squishing the grape, you're actually squishing grape juice plus glyphosate and all these pesticides. So how much of the pesticides are we actually ingesting by doing uh, irrigation. And in Europe, they don't do irrigation. They do dry farming. That's why it's called dry without irrigation. And so their wines are healthier and they're natural and they don't have these 76 additives that oh. they put into <laughs> their wine. So when people say, oh yeah, but the Europeans, they live long and like, yeah, but they're drinking different wine. So I, yes. I just think there's, there's just so much more to it than just the alcohol. And there's also so much more to it that we don't know about, which I love transparency. So I just love that he brought such a fresh, transparent way of talking about how wine is farmed in the United States. That is crazy. But I actually can't be that shocked or surprised because I know the standards here. I love our country, but oh my gosh, with the lack of, it's almost like anything goes. My daughter was in Europe last year. And I remember on one phone call, she said, mom, I went into the store and you know how we have Fanta, the orange soda? Like we don't drink that, but she's just pointing that out that over there, it's barely a tint of orange. And over here it's dark, bright orange because of all the food coloring that we Mm -hmm. add Mm -hmm. to 
so many products. Yes. And the regulations are just night and day in from they are. Europe to the US. And so that is crazy, but and I am surprised, but I shouldn't be. But it reminded me also of when you said you lost the craving to drink the wine. I was like, oh yeah, I remember when I watched back in, I think it was 2017 or so, What the Health. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with that documentary on Netflix. I'm not. Okay. Well, that's one of the very first documentaries that I watched that had to do with the quality of our foods that we eat every day. And I really made a decision after watching that video to go heavily plant-based, which I still to this day eat. And I even stopped eating meat and like any form of chicken or like anything at all for a few years. And then I started slowly incorporating, but you know, of course I'm buying the grass fed and the wild caught and trying to, to make the best decisions in that way. But yeah, after that, I was like, I'll never eat a hot dog ever again. So yeah, I can relate. I can't wait when, to check this out. Yes. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been around for a few years now, but it's still such a good documentary and it's, it's just, yeah, it blows you away to learn the things about what is in our foods and our drinks and all of these things. Yeah. Okay. Todd also talks about this concept that I love and I've been using it too, is like conscious consumption, right? Mm -hmm. We we just want to be aware or conscious of what we're putting in our body and just be that educated consumer. Like Todd does his dry farm wines. And he goes, I still want to drink, but I want to drink as healthily as I could. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's what made him start this company. And most of his wines come from Europe. So it's like you said, coming back to educating yourself, aligning yourself with, you know, if you believe in health and wellness and, you know, you don't want all these diabetes and all these toxins in our bodies, you know, they're just how you can empower yourself to make the decisions that fit the lifestyle and be in alignment with what your goals are and your values. Totally. Yes. I also wanted to ask you, um, as you've kind of been in this space for a little bit now. So people that tend to drink a lot out of habit, do you see a specific link to anything in particular? Like, are there any insights that you've gained working with people? For example, you mentioned your own reasons for reaching out, you know, to relieve stress or overwhelm in your life. Is there anything in particular that you find, or is it kind of a, an array of reasons why people turn out of habit yeah. to alcohol? Yeah. So I can give a blanketed answer, which is why people turn to alcohol, particularly women. It's for their emotions, right? So women are definitely emotional drinkers. If you look at the data on what emotions, particularly for women, you will find loneliness is one of the top three. Feeling depressed or sad, you know, and, and this doesn't mean a clinical diagnos diagnosis of depression. This is just like, I'm depressed because I had 13 things on my to-do list and I only got 10 of them done. And mm -hmm. so you perseverate on the three that you didn't get to. Or as some of the women I work with, which is really interesting, they're like, I felt like I I have all this success, but yet I still feel a little empty. I still feel like I'm not cutting it or you know, like they have the job, they have the kids, they have like the house or whatever, but they're still feeling like unfulfilled. And so that can manifest as like a slight depression or a slight sadness. And so they just drink because that makes them happier or gets rid of thinking about 
the three things they didn't accomplish on their to-do list. And then the other one is our overactive minds. So a lot of women will tell me that I can't shut my brain off or I can't go to sleep. So I need wine because my brain is so active. So I think those are the three biggest emotional triggers for women to overdo it with alcohol. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there must be something that causes you to consistently turn to something that isn't good for you or healthy for you, or, you know, in the end, it doesn't really have the best outcome or result, but getting to the root of what it is has to be transformational for your clients. And it was for you. I mean, you talked, as I mentioned earlier in your podcast about the power of your mindset and your habits and how these things are really just the foundation for all of these behaviors. I mean, that's part of addressing all of this, right? With over overdoing anything, not just alcohol. You mentioned earlier, people overeat, they over shop, or we can do a lot of things in excess and how our minds and our habits are really the foundation for all these things. And you gave a book recommendation, the maze, something about the maze. Oh yes. Yes. Out of the maze was a good one. Out of the maze. Yes. Yes, that was um, Spencer Johnson. He wrote Who Moved My Cheese, the international bestseller. Well, his subsequent book is Out of the Maze, and it talks about our belief systems. And we condition our minds, right? We come out of the womb, just little balls of consciousness ready to learn and absorb. But over time, we become accustomed to our thoughts, and we think most of our thoughts are true, which a lot of them if we purposely change them, we find that they were true for a time, but then they stop being true. So for me, like alcohol is so fun, more of it's better, right? That's the way my brain used to think, which would lead to the action of over drinking. But once I started changing that narrative and that belief system I had, now I have freedom around alcohol. I get to choose with every sip, with every glass, you know, with every occasion. It's no longer just something I do because I've broken that wiring inside of my brain. So absolute. And I think that's what, you know, God asks us is always be transforming of our mind, right? Just really look at how are we living? What are we doing? And is that really what we're called to be doing? And does that really feel in alignment of what our soul is wanting at this phase of our life? There's another good book talking about harm reduction. And that's Basically, what I practice is reducing the harm to myself and others. So, because I'm not abstinent, and the name of that book title is Undoing Drugs by Maya Salovitz. Really good. She talks more of it from like heroin and cocaine and her experience being an addict there. But she also used alcohol, and the same principles in that book apply to alcohol. So, I just found that book to be really inspiring, offering a lot of hope that even if you don't want to come off drugs, just reducing the harm that you're doing to yourself and that will reduce the harm, you know, to others and just meeting yourself where you're at is a huge step in this journey. And we shouldn't not offer that to people. And it also talks about the criminalization of this and too, which I found fascinating how we handle it here in the United States versus other countries. So I just, that book has educated me and opened up my mind a lot to how we criminalize 
a behavior that can be potentially better served nurturing these people, right? Nurturing people who fall to these patterns. And it just resonated with me so much. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful read. Undoing drugs. Yes. I'm I'm gonna pick that up. That speaks to me, what you just said about criminalizing people who have these diseases or these behaviors, I guess. I'm because my mom, she was an addict and an alcoholic and she got in trouble with the law and never received the support and help that she truly desperately needed. Being a single mom of seven children and you know, I'm sure now that I've wow. learned so much about addiction and, and alcoholism is is emotional causes. Yes. There's yes. so much there that I know she was experiencing that I didn't realize until just recently, but it breaks my heart whenever I think about the lack of support and maybe hope that she even had that she could get the help because it was, it was criminalized and she did pay the price for it on several mm. occasions. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just the way we rehabilitate people, 30 days in in, in a rehabilitation center. I mean, really 30 days to break a habit that maybe you've been doing for a decade. Like, why do we set people up for, oh, you're going to be healed in 30 days. Like we set people up for failure and we really have to look at the system because I don't think it's working and studies show it's not. People go back and back and back to rehab because 30 days doesn't teach you how to live your life, not at <laughs> you, all. you know, and, and break the habit. So yes, it detoxes the body, but what about the mind? The mind is what creates the desire for it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that takes more time. It does. It just does. Oh, oh it takes so much time. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. God, I know it's, it's upsetting to really think about it, how the whole yes. system is set up and all of these people struggling and suffering and, and just not really receiving the help and support. I mean, yes, there is a choice. A lot of people choose not to ever go down that road of getting the help that they need and a free choice for everybody. But just, you know, starting at young ages too. I mean, how many kids oh, just yes. out of just what they know turn to this lifestyle or these habits and behaviors and, and then it just spirals and it's out of control and then it's just all bad. And so exactly, exactly. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And if you met a child, right. And it's easy when it's your child, cause you have expectations for your own child, right. To judge them, to wag a finger, to tell them they shouldn't do that again. But that does not work for a young adolescent mind at all. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I loved undoing drugs. She talks about really how to help the people and meet them where they're at and, and telling them to not do something is not actually helping. No. <laughs> it, yeah. it is actually I wouldn't hurting help me. Yes. Right. Cause you're just going to want to defy your parents even again. And, and, and part of it may be that the habit is so ingrained or that they're getting such relief from a trauma or a pain that they're experiencing. So let's look at the trauma or the pain or what's causing that first. Oh, yeah. So that's not the default way of escape. Yeah. Nope. Well, I'm, I'm thankful for you doing your part and educating. And the, the people that you get to work with, they, a lot of them, I'm sure, are parents themselves. And so this is another thing in, on a positive note that can be passed down to their children because kids follow the pattern a lot of times. So 
when we can just educate and support and lift one another, we're not just helping that individual that we're working with. It goes far beyond and multiplies beyond that person, beyond that one person. It certainly does. And I love it that my 12 year old is now, mom, what do you do for work? How do you help people? You know, did you have a problem with alcohol? And I, yeah, I'm just forthright, open, honest. I tell her everything that I've experienced and why, and why it doesn't work for me anymore, at least in that frequency and that quantity and what made me decide to go that route and what made me decide to change. And then I am formulating her early opinions of this. And that to me is such a blessing that I get to do. So she doesn't learn about this from her peers, which are going to have a different story around these chemicals, right? So I'm talking about the chemical of alcohol. This you can apply to the chemical of vaping, marijuana, CBD, right? Like any chemical, right? Yes. So, yes. And I don't, and I think if we just tell people don't do it, it's bad. We're missing 98% of the story, you know, and, and we're losing that opportunity to really form an, a, a new brain with thoughts on ways to think about it. I'm not telling her how to think about it. And I think mm-hmm. that's also beautiful, but just allowing her brain to process the information of the whole picture will really set her up for the way she wants to navigate her life. Yeah. We are the same way with my 14-year-old son and just being really truthful and open and detailed about all of the things out there and experiences that we've had, especially my husband with his addiction but allowing, you said, process it all themselves and make their decisions based on the wisdom that we've passed to them and insight that yeah. we've given them. Yeah. So it's and so just, important. And it sounds like you do it the same way. It's like creating this environment where you can ask all the questions. We're mm-hmm. not going to judge. You know, mm-hmm. just please mm-hmm. ask us, come to yes. us. Yes. Um, because we want to walk with you and not, you know, judge you on the way. Right. So, oh, yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, this has been nothing short of amazing. I know that the listeners are going to get so much out of it. And we'll put all your information in the show notes so people can reach out, maybe follow along on Instagram, go to your website, check you out, or whatever. But thank you so much for just spending this time with us and enlightening us and inspiring so many with what you do. Thank you so much, Barbara. This has been my pleasure. Thank you. All right. We will talk soon. 